people that come in will say, am I doing this right? When I'm always like, yes, of course you are. When it comes to things like jewelry making and what you put together is okay. If it looks good to you and it makes you feel good, then yes, that's right. You know, there's no right or wrong to it. It's a good exercise in just letting go of your head and just moving into something and seeing what you put together. I mean, making is that you're taking something that's not tangible and manifesting it into the world. And that's magic. And I think people are a little scared of it, but everybody can do it. Rebecca Dulber is a jewelry maker and founder of R.E.D., a studio based on Long Island, New York. The goal at R.E.D. is to create space for customers to be introspective and help them translate their memories, milestones, and personal mantras into meaningful pieces of jewelry. Rebecca believes the experience is more than a purchase, it's an opportunity to connect over the moments that have defined us. Rebecca and I collaborated on the Elemental Mala collection for Shop Elemental, which you'll hear more about in this episode. We also chat about balancing motherhood alongside running our business. The question that often comes up for me is, grow the business or watch my kids grow? It can be challenging to find the balance in that, and it's in conversations like these where we can find connection and community. We also talk about travel, staying curious, and of course, following those intuitive nudges. Please enjoy today's conversation with Rebecca Dolber. Rebecca, it's so nice to have you on the Living Elemental podcast. I'm looking forward to catching up with you. It's been a while. I don't think we've ever even met face-to-face over Zoom. It's always been email or a phone call. So it's good to finally meet you sort of in person. Yeah, thank you for having me and thank you for the invitation to chat. For those of you listening, Rebecca and I collaborated on the Five Element Mala Collection, which I have available on my website. And the intention behind those was to create a wearable piece to help integrate any element that you need in any moment to help bring more balance to your life. And in my research, I found Rebecca, and I'm excited for you all to hear a little bit more about her. I'm actually excited to hear more, too, because... Really what drawn me to collaborating with you is from what I read on your website and this journey you had into, I don't know if it was necessarily into jewelry making or specifically malas, but um, I thought that you shared so beautifully about your travels. And so I thought that might be a really nice place to start um, if you'd like to share a little bit about that. It is a good place to start. I was doing some jewelry making, uh, but also working other jobs. It was never my full-time income or intention to be. And I got this wonderful invite to join a coworker at the time to go back to India. Her grandmother was ailing, and it was part of her way to say goodbye to her to go back to where her grandmother was born and visit the temple that she grew up visiting as a child. And knowing that I liked to travel and just had an interest in the world. So I got to go to India. And what was really special about it was that I not only had tour guides that were from India and an invitation to see the inner workings of their family and their cultures, but I got to go to places that not a lot of people from the West go to. 
I rode in the back of a Land Rover for three days on dirt roads, going about 25 miles an hour to get to this temple in the middle of the jungle uh, in the Kerala region of India. And I arrived at this temple, and what was amazing about it was that along the way, we would stop and and get, you know, and rest and get things to eat. And a lot of the time, children would run up to the Land Rover that I was in because they would see me in it, and they had never seen a person with white skin before. And they would run up and they would touch my arm. And and it was, at first it was a little, you know, it, it took me back, but it's just amazing how interconnected our world is, but still how far apart we are. So the journey to get to the temple was unforgettable. But then once we were there, it was an education, to say the least. Yeah. You mentioned you were already working another job. What kind of industry were you in? Yeah, so my major was communications with a concentration in film and television. So I started out working in TV in New York City. I worked on Law and Order Special Victims Unit, and (laughs) that was a blast. And then I worked that summer doing commercials, and I worked on a small independent film, and then I got picked up by a production house that I was doing more uh, coordinating through. That led to some independent work where I met this coworker. Um, I was setting up a TV studio for a financial services firm. So not related to what I do at all, but fun nonetheless. From what I've read on your website, you've always kind of been a crafter or a maker or an artist. What drew you into jewelry making specifically? Well, so film and television production is such a collaborative medium. You have a lot of hands in creating one final project. And what I liked about jewelry making, uh, whether it was subconsciously, consciously or not, was that it was all me. I got to do everything from start to finish. I was living in New York City at the time, and I was really drawn to the fashion district. So I found myself wandering in and out of those beat stores. And in my spare time, I was making jewelry, accumulating so much jewelry. In fact, that my very good friend Beth was like, you know, you have to unload some of this stuff. So she encouraged me to apply to uh, street fair. And I did. And I ended up selling a lot of this jewelry. And I thought this was so much fun. I liked the act of packing the things up and then setting everything up and meeting people. And I've always loved a market. I mean, that's one of the things that I love the most about traveling is going to marketplaces and seeing what other people are making. So to be part of that and to be a person in that was alluring too. And one thing just kind of led to another, you know, I did that. And then I set up an Etsy account like a lot of makers do and started going to more, um, more craft fairs, street fairs, art festivals. And as the jewelry making got more complex, I was getting into better shows and really finding that um, this could be something for me. And that's what kind of led to me starting my own business officially, but always having a supplemental income to support that, which I think when you hear artist or maker, there's this illusion that For a lot of us, we're doing the thing that we love so much to make us our income. But um, Elizabeth Gilbert writes in Big Magic how sometimes it's important to have these supplemental incomes to help support the thing that you love so that the pressure is taken off of it and it doesn't lose its magic. And that was really true for me. I was able to always have my jewelry making and build that business, but I was able to explore other things that I really liked, like I was listening to the great episode you did about antiquing, and that's one of my passions too. Um, So one of the jobs that I took over the course of the last few years was working at an auction house and cataloging antiques and going into 
homes all over Long Island and seeing what people had stowed away and treasures and closets and things. And, and it was wonderful. So in addition to being able to do what I love in a funny way, having it at first not be my whole life, let me explore some of these other interests I have and not in a way that felt like, oh, I wasn't making it, but in a way that felt like I can explore everything that I want all at the same time. I love that because I think a lot of people, and at least this has been my experience, you know, having a career in an industry that I wasn't happy in, but recognizing that it's supporting where I'm at now to build the thing that I want. And what's even more interesting is once I got out of that first career to chase what I thought I was building, once I had more time, it was already shifting again. And so I think just staying open to different avenues of income and realizing that nothing has to be the one and only, and it doesn't have to be that forever. The analogy that I always use is like when you clean out your closet and get rid of the things that don't really serve you anymore, you're making room to bring in things that do. So there's something about that there too, where yes, when I eventually did say, okay, I'm going to lean into this. I want to see if I can do this full time. It's funny how... I believed in it, you know, and I leaned into it and, and gave it the opportunity to serve me in the way that at that time I was ready for. And, and it did. So one of the things we talk about on this podcast a lot is about balance. It's called the Living Elemental Podcast because the elements in nature, that's what they do. They naturally balance the system. So I wanted to have conversations about balance because I crave it too. You know, I still need more balance in my life. Um, I never want to lead that I am the expert here. So I love having guests come on and talk about ways in which they balance. I know you have two young children, you're running a business, and you're still making time for all these, you know, other creative outlets. How do you find balance? Do you have a routine or what do you do for yourself to yeah. stay in your creative zones? And I love what you just said about, um, you know, you're you're doing this podcast and maybe people expect you to lead, but that you're sort of in this with us too. I say that all the time when people come into my store because I think there's this misconception that I'm like a gemologist or this like spiritual guru of stones and I'm not at all. And I always say like, I'm learning with you. You know, somebody might come in and say like, tell me something about malachite or another stone. Like I know this already. And I always say like, I'm learning with you. So uh, I appreciate that point of entry, but balance, uh, how do I do it? I think about all the balls that are in the air. They will come tumbling down. <laughs> I am in the midst of rethinking my business after. So I had uh, Phoebe, our first child, two and a half years ago. And so far, I've done a good job of keeping the business going in the way that I envisioned it. But now after two years and our son Arlo will be two in June, um, I'm have my back up against the wall or change. And sometimes we can change because we can see the writing on the wall um, and because we want to. And sometimes I think we get pushed into those positions where we don't really have a choice. And it feels like I'm more of the latter right now. I'm having a hard time keeping my store hours the way that they are. And even now they're limited. I'm open Thursday through Sunday, but it's, it's hard to do all the things because, you know, kids get sick and as they're getting older, I want to spend more time with them. I don't know if you found this, but when they were first born and when they were infants and it was really just about meeting their immediate needs, it was a little easier, if I'm being honest, to give them to my mom or to leave them at daycare and, and go to work. I love work. 
But now that they're becoming interested and their little personalities are developing and they're asking for me, it's not just harder to leave them, but I don't want to. So I'm rethinking things. When I opened my space, I branded it as a pop-up because that's really what I thought it was going to be. I opened in 2020 out of just a need to sell jewelry because the pandemic hit. I found out I was pregnant about three days later and everything closed. All my means of income were gone. At that time, I didn't have the store, so I was traveling to shows. All those were canceled. My wholesale accounts, the majority of them were yoga studios. They all closed. Nobody was buying jewelry online because they had nowhere to go and all everybody's incomes were in question too. So in August of 2020, at about seven months pregnant, there was a space in town and I just approached the landlord and I said, can I have a place to sell for the holidays? And it'll just be a pop-up and let's see how that goes. And it turned into something actually really wonderful that I had always wanted. So I recently just signed a longer lease and I rebranded the pop-up as my studio and it is my working studio. Up until this point, I've had, um, you know, concrete store hours, but I'm kind of rethinking that as a means to achieve a better balance, you know, to have more time with my kids and figure out how, because I don't want to give up my space, but to figure out how to use the space more effectively, whether it be being uh, appointment only or getting more people in there for scheduled workshops at hours that are more conducive to to my schedule. I don't know if that answers your question about that. It's, it does. Yeah. And I think that kind of your thought process and how to manage the store going forward because of where you're at in your life with your kids. I think the way you're going about it is really smart because when you were saying that, I do totally resonate with when they're younger, it was just easier. They napped a lot. It was like just basic needs. And then, yeah, they become legit humans and they need a lot more attention. But I will say too, my kids are now eight and 10. And I'm already kind of like I'm leaving that phase again. So kind of mom to mom to let you know, like it's like this ebb and flow, you know, where I have a little bit of mom guilt because I am running a business and I'm doing so much in my business that I too crave spending more time with them. But I'm already seeing that they're now becoming so social and they have friends and they have activities and they they're starting to be in that phase where they'd rather like communicate with their friends than their than their family so you know just know that too that even though that's what seems to be happening for you now that that will also be short lived and it will all just kind of keep changing all over again for you so i love that you're not necessarily giving up the studio or you're kind of taking that time to really intentionally think about it because you know, you just never know where your life's going to be in, in another five years, you know. It's good to know. It's good to hear. And I think yeah. that there's something there, too, about, like, that pertains to balance, where, like, I've always had the privilege of leading and living my life by intuition. And I think that there's something to be said about not holding on to something so tightly, you know. So while it had always been my dream to have a storefront, a brick and mortar space where I could really spread out and meet customers and establish relationships. You know, if that's not working at this point in my life, I think it's important to be able to say, well, I can let that go and make room for what is supposed to be and what is supposed to be in my life right now. You know, 
And to do so, not, you know, begrudgingly or, or with resentment, but just openness and excitement for whatever's next. Yeah. Love that. And I, you kind of started to allude to it, but one of the questions I had for you, you state that your artistry has evolved into a practice of careful listening. Mm-hmm. And I assume that is, you know, your intuition. So I was hoping you could speak more to that. What does intuition mean to you? How do you hear your intuition? Well, I think I, I more feel intuition. Mm-hmm. I think it's less of a head thing for me and more of a body thing um, where even something as simple as like knowing when my kids are up and out of bed without hearing them or seeing them, I just sort of feel it. It's like, it's almost like a shift in air pressure. If mm-hmm. I had to describe it physically, that's what it feels like for me. But as it pertains to working with um, customers, so much of what I do is listening. So the woman that owns my building shares part of the space with me. And she always says that, you know, I should really be a therapist and not a jewelry maker <laughs> because. It's really what I'm doing is people are coming in and, you know, they're looking for a stone or a special combination of charms that will support them through their day or make them feel better in some way or serve as a keepsake or a memory of someone or something that they've lost or a time in their life that they wish to reconnect to. And more often than not, it's not about psychically understanding that or psychically tapping into, you know, what they're thinking but really just listening to what they're saying. And, and, you know, Maya Angelou said it best when she said, believe people when they tell you who they are. People say so much. And if we can just listen a little closer, you can really tell a lot about a person. And, and that's really what I do. I had a woman come in actually the other day and she very sweetly was like, so how do you match the stone to the person? And I said, well, I just asked what's going on with you. And she almost didn't understand. It was that simple. And she said, so, so what do you recommend for me? And I said, well, where are you at? Like, what was your week like? What sorts of things are you thinking about? And it's really just as easy as asking some inviting questions and having some curiosity about others and listening to, to what they say and, you know, having some knowledge about the stones that I keep in the studio and, and matching it to them. Yeah. And that was a question I had too, was if there's someone out there looking for a particular stone to kind of match up with something they're feeling you know, you mentioned a few on your site, like anxiety, or maybe they're on a sobriety journey. Um, do you have some recommendations, the common ones maybe that you hear frequently from your customers? Sure. sure. Uh, the big one lately is uh, I want to feel less anxious. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about the future. I'm worried about our environment. I'm worried about, you know, our relationship politically with one another. Um, so I always like to recommend grounding stones for those situations. So any sort of jasper stones are great for that. They have a really strong connection to the earth. That feels really like you can plant your feet on the ground. And, uh, you know, if you have like frenzied head energy and you're always thinking, if you lay your head down at night on your pillow and you can't stop thinking about that thing that you said during the day and you wish you didn't say it, I think jasper stones are great for that. If you go online to rebeccadolber.com to my staffer section, I kind of pull out one defining quality about each stone that I have. And then if you click into the listings, you can read a lot more about the stones, but lots of Jasper stones lately. Goldstone is actually a man-made stone, but it's man-made with copper and quartz. So it has some natural elements to it that make it really good for uh, anxiety, anxiety, relieving nervousness. You'll probably recognize the Goldstone. It's often said a lot in cabochons. It's um, like a 
like a brown stone with all these sparkles in it and the sparkles oh. are, are the copper. Um, I kind of feel like that the reason it's anti-anxiety is because it looks like a galaxy in each stone. You can kind of get lost in it. Um, you know, some people say that they can hold the stones and feel the vibrations of it. Um, that's not necessarily my experience. I don't know that I feel the vibrations of stones, but I certainly believe that people can and do. But I always tell people too, when we do our workshops, like if you can't, that's okay. You know, it's not necessarily about the vibrational quality of a stone or a healing property of a stone. It's about how it makes you feel. You know, color is huge too. And the combination of colors together can just have a, a washing effect that can make you feel a certain way, regardless of what the stone is naturally good for. It's funny when, so I do these workshops in my studio where people come in with friends and family and wine and charcuterie. And it's kind of like a paint your own night, but they make, they make jewelry instead. And it just always amazes me how 85% of the people that come in will say, am I doing this right? When I'm always like, yes, of course you are. And you're like, well, is this, is this good to put together or does this, does this work? And it's just interesting how we've sort of, I don't know if it's a cultural thing or a societal thing or an American thing, but we defer our emotions to others so often. Like if you think it's okay, then, then I guess it's okay. But, you know, when it comes to things like jewelry making and what you put together is okay. If it looks good to you and it makes you feel good, then yes, that's right. You know, there's no right or wrong to it. But every workshop, those are the questions that I get. Did I do this right? So it it's a good exercise in letting go of intrusive thoughts, regular thoughts, just letting go of your head and just moving into something and seeing what you put together. I mean, you know, making is that you're taking something that's not tangible and manifesting it into the world. And that's magic. And I think people are a little scared of it, but everybody can do it. Everybody can do it. Everybody, you know, being an interior designer, I hear that too. People are like, I, I really struggle with my creativity. I'm not a creative person. I can't see the end result. And it's like, you can, but you keep telling yourself that story. And I think somewhere along the way and Again, I agree with you. I don't know if it's our culture or what it is, but just that not trusting ourselves and seeking validation from others in all that we do. I mean, I certainly was that person for a long, long time until I started really getting quiet and listening to my own intuition and really paying attention and working on the development of that, that things have shifted for me too. But, you know, I was working with a client. She just needs evidence that she's doing it the right way. And I share the same thing. There are no right or wrong answers. Just take some time to just kind of sit quietly and ask yourself some of these questions and just be patient. I think it's patience too. I think people want validation and they want it quick. Mm -hmm. But what the interesting thing is with intuition, like it can be, once you know how to listen to it, it can be really quick. And then you don't have to not only seek out validation from others, but you also have an instant answer. I'm really trying to bring that into my practice as well. Feng Shui is a very intuitive practice, but even just in design and the way in which people create their spaces, you know, things like Pinterest are great 
tools, but at the same time, it's almost created like the opposite effect of what people really should be doing. And that's really kind of taking lead on what feels right to them, you know. And isn't it funny how what we're doing, you know, you are helping people with their space, but it's also, you're also helping people with how they think, you know? And I think that there's something to be said about being so untrusting of your own intuition and your own urges and your own inner guide. I think that that speaks a lot to where we are as a society about not trusting our neighbor and not trusting people who are not like us. Because how can you lean into other relationships when you don't have a, a baseline of trusting yourself? You know, yeah. so I think that you're kind of onto something there. When did you start to do that for yourself? Like when did that, you want to call it awakening or just knowing that there was something more to know? When did that happen for you? I'd say the last 10 years, I've kind of been on that, we'll call it an awakening journey. Um, but it really started, I think, as it does for a lot of people, as just a lot of restlessness in my career. Having children really changed a lot for me too, just kind of realizing how much reparenting I needed for myself. and how I wanted to raise my kids. So I'd say 10 years, but the intuition development was probably, I'd say in total about five years. I read a, a few books on intuition and then I found Kim Chesney's work, author of Radical Intuition. She wrote a few other books as well. Um, but that book for me, I don't know what it was about it, but she explained it in such a way that was both very connected spiritually, but also like she has a little science in there that's like, you know, kind of made it real, right? Because yeah. I think that for a lot of people, they think that's not real. That's just psychic ability. Like only certain people have it. A lot of misconceptions about intuition. And uh, the year before COVID, she hosted a intuition retreat. And luckily, she lived near me. So I was able to attend that retreat. And it was like, unlike anything I've ever been to. And I was like, oh my God, I need more of this. And I've been studying under Kim now for the last three years. And now I help her teach workshops and I've integrated it into my business. And um, when I found feng shui, I practice the BTB. It has a lot of Tibetan and Buddhist influence on it. I consider it more of a mindfulness practice. It's about that listening that you're talk talking about, like listening to your home and being aware as you're walking through your space and as you're cleaning. And really all I try to provide to my listeners or my clients is that we all have this ability and it just really takes a little bit of slowing down and not filling our spaces with so much stuff because it's just clouding all of that spaciousness that we all really need. So I provide some tools to help bring some awareness to what's going on. But really, it's it's a practice and a connection to yourself. Yeah, and I agree that everybody has it. And maybe it's stronger for some than for others, but certainly everybody can have access to it. I mean, you're definitely right about like the decluttering and the quieting of the mind. But I also feel like that there must be other ways for people to tap into their intuition. Sometimes I think that there's like barriers of entry for people into this sort of thinking or, or talking because they think it's woo-woo or not who they are. Um, but I think that that's one of the great things that is kind of being exposed with the internet and everybody being so connected is that 
there is no one way of doing something. You know, you can figure that out for yourself. Your intuition is like a muscle. It can be developed and you can strengthen it. Like you had mentioned, like it's more of a feeling than thought. And for me, it's, it's an immediate drop in. It's usually a word or an image in, in my mind, you know? So yeah, it does speak to us in different ways. I love talking about intuition and it's so funny. A lot of people I've been having on the show, the topic always goes back to intuition and it surprises me at first because it's never really the intention for the conversation, but it's just interesting to me how it keeps coming up um, because I think people are ready for it. I think we're, we're hitting a point in our evolution to start recognizing this part of ourselves. And I mean, not to get too political, but it's sort of always where I end up, to be honest. I think that people are getting really fed up with everything being sold to them. And so that there could be a way of being that doesn't require you to buy something or upgrade to something else to feel like you're doing it right is everything. Yeah. I finally felt like I could take my power back. Mm-hmm. You know, developing my intuition. And yes, I had to invest in like a course with Kim, but I feel like now I don't need to invest in much else because now I have my own inner guru. I don't need to keep looking outside of myself for answers or anything. Yeah, that's wonderful. One of the ways that I think that intuition serves me really well is when I am feeling kind of stuck in like a design process or if I know that I have like this huge to-do list ahead of me and maybe you've experienced this where you're supposed to be doing something, but for whatever reason, you can't move towards it. To like give yourself a break enough to say, I'm going to take 45 minutes to an hour to do the thing that I feel like I want to be doing and how that sometimes opens space to let you come back to the to-do list in a way that feels refreshed and ready to tackle it. Again, I think we're so often taught that we need to tackle things head on and push through. And for me, I've always resisted to that, even as like a young child, where like if I was told I had to do something, like that was the last thing that I wanted to be doing. (laughs) Very much. Can you identify? Oh, for sure. And I think that that's sort of the mentality of what a successful person is, is they push through and they persevere. But uh, what I've found is that by being a little gentler with myself and allowing room for desire, which I think desire and love are the whole point of being alive, um, even if it's just in a small amount, it, it makes room so that you can get done the things that you want to get done. So be gentle with yourself. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I agree. And I just experienced that at the end of last year. I took the rest of the year off because I was finding myself in that space. I felt very pressured by the work that was coming in, but then also like, well, you have to take it. Like you don't have an income. This was very shortly after I had left my corporate job. So it was just like push, push, push. And I burn out so quickly. And I was like, this is not why I wanted to own my own business, was not to keep pushing and grinding. It was to be more in control of my time and make more time for play and being a parent. And it was the total opposite of that. I'm just grateful that I recognized it sooner than later. And so I did. I took that time off. And even still, I'll find myself falling into that trap of push, push, push. But now I have a lot of awareness around like when I feel that, that means back away. Yeah. I mean, like life is meant to be enjoyed, you know? 
if I'm pushing and grinding all the time. You know, I really took the lead on that one from a lot of Black activists. There's a lot of Black women who are really part of this movement of rest culture. And I just think it's such a beautiful thing. And it's so liberating. I don't know if you follow like Love Ministry um, or uh, Nat Ministry. It's a good account if you want to take it. Yeah, so that sounds, rest sounds lovely. <laughs> I will definitely check that out. <laughs> well, that was good. That was a nice little spin on intuition. I love that. So I do want to talk about the malas and just for clarity, because I hear it both ways. Mala or mala? I say mala. Okay. Tomato, tomato. Okay. All right. I've always said mala. And then recently I've heard people saying mala. So I'm like, maybe I'm saying it wrong, but I think you're right. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> I have a funny story, actually, that's similar to this. So like I always said um, chakra. Mm-hmm. But then I got asked to do a workshop on chakras. And I was like, okay, well, let me just get a little bit more of an education, you know, uh, because that wasn't my area of expertise. But you know, it was related to jewelry making. So I was like, okay, well, I can learn enough to get through. And I, when I was like going on YouTube, I found everybody was saying chakra. <laughs> well, I was like, what do I do? <laughs> and it was like one of these moments where intuition was out the door. I didn't know what to do. So I did this whole workshop saying chakra as chakra and feeling like, why did you just do that? It's like, <laughs> do you ever see that episode of Friends where like Ross has a British accent for like, yeah. The class that he's teaching yes. he does. <laughs> and so he, like, funny has to drop it like subtly and he, he they're like are you losing your accent that's how I felt and yeah. it was just again another great lesson to be like just say what you're comfortable with you know it's fine that's funny the exact same thing happened just on Friday I was interviewing another interior designer and she just opened up a, a shop and it's like okay I was like well I kept saying at Lea and she's like I don't think it matters this is the way I say it. I'm like okay you know to each their own I guess sure. yes. <laughs> let's run with that <laughs> so um but yes your mala beads what kind of drew you to those in particular well, yeah so the jewelry making started just with like uh, you know love of the fashion district and wanting to buy beads and I was admittedly a, a a pretty big hippie in my 20s. So I started making hemp necklaces and selling them at music festivals. It's really, you know, kind of the genre of jewelry making that I was in. Um, but the Malins came to be when I went to India and I went to that temple with my friend and her family. And I was in the inner temple and I was introduced to this Brahmin priest. And it was this private meeting with us family. And he gifted me a mala and told me about mala. And then um, when we left the temple and we explored the marketplaces in India, seeing the beads there, the malas that were made there, they were absolutely beautiful and gorgeous. And I thought, how can I make these while still supporting the people in India and the origin of where I discovered the mala? Right. Because while malas aren't specifically associated with one religion or one culture, I felt that I discovered them in India and that I had an obligation if I was going to be making them and I was going to be selling them to still support the craftspeople that sort of gave me that education about them, if that makes sense. So I'm still able to buy the beads, the rosewood, the sandalwood that. I got on my initial trip with the connections that I made there and the subsequent connections that I made with 
dealers in the marketplaces of Nepal. And while the people who buy malas from my store and online may not be using them as a tool, I still think it's important that they're reading their original intent. You know, I think that, again, it's important that we think about things like cultural appropriation, and especially when we're making things and making a profit off of them, we need to think about, is anybody being hurt by this? Are we taking an idea and passing it off as our own? And while I do do a little bit of a spin on my malas, where I use um, a lot of traditional malas have a full knot in between the beads, and mine have a half knot, and I use the string to kind of go along the outside, which um, just informs the design a little bit differently. I still think it's important to, you know, give that education and to make sure supporting the people that I learned from is the least that I can do. So for our listeners, what is the correct use of a mala? So a mala is a lot like a rosary. There's 108 beads and they're used in the recitation of mantras. Each bead and each knot represents whatever you're reciting. And then you move on to the next one. So it's almost like a placeholder as you work your way through the mala. I love my malas, not just the ones that you made, but I have several of them. And I actually have several for different uses. I have one for my morning meditation. And I don't use it every morning, but it's always there. There's something about it being there, too, that I love. With the collection you and I did, I keep them in a dish. They're actually right behind me. And there's something about just their presence in a room that, to me, I don't know. I love having them around me. But yes, using them in meditation, again, I love having them out on display. Um, Even if they're just kind of stacked up on a pile of books, there's just something to be said about having them there. To me, it's almost like a, a reminder, like to just be mindful, take a moment of presence. And that's kind of the message I share with people who inquire about them. You know, how can I use these? And there's tons of uses, but I do love that what you're saying to also be sure that people understand its original intent and use. So thank you for sharing that. Sure. And you're right. Like the purpose of meditating or to have a mantra is to bring intention to some things. And so even if you're not using them in that traditional way where you're moving them through your hands and you get down to your guru beat and then you go back around the mala. I think that that's okay. I think that, you know, if, if you're looking at them and it's bringing you a sense of peace, it's bringing you a sense of ease, or if you got a particular mala to remind you of something and it's serving that purpose when you're looking at it being on your altar, in a bowl, on your shelf, I think that there is, um, you know, validity there in use. And that was really the intention, again, behind the collection we made. It's like I wanted to have a way for people, because when we're out of balance, it's usually because there's an element that's kind of off or that we're not integrating enough of into our being or our life. And so the whole purpose was to create an intention for your mala if you knew, okay, I'm not very grounded. I need a little more earth in my life. And so you could work with the earth, which we chose sunstone, which I think that's probably my favorite one. That one and the jade are my two favorites. Um, But I seem to gravitate towards that sunstone, not surprisingly, because I'm always like up here and I tend to, uh, you know, need a little more grounding in my life. So are you an air sign? I am Libra. (sighs) Yep. Yeah, like what you just said is great because, and again, it kind of circles back to what I was saying about the gemstone stackers, where even if you buy your mala to be grounding or anti-anxiety or to help you with your sobriety or for any number of reasons, 
you know, those are the stones that you bought for the reason that you need. Even if you're not like feeling that from the stone, if you're looking at the mala and just using it as a reminder of what you're looking for, that's just as good if you ask me. Yeah, that's the point. That's the point, right? You're not doing it wrong. (laughs) Right. People hear a lot of in regards to feng shui, like, oh, I heard I'm supposed to put a bowl of oranges on the table. And it's like, well, <laughs> the bowl of oranges on the table isn't really doing anything unless you have attention behind it. Like, so every time you walk into the kitchen, see the bowl of oranges. Well, why did you put them there in the first place? And it's just a reminder throughout your day because the things in your space are talking to you on a subconscious level. So why not put things around you intentionally? Mm-hmm. And that was really the whole purpose of Shop Elemental is just being really intentional about what you're purchasing, because mm-hmm. whether it's something made of the earth, like a terracotta pot, or it's this mala bead, whatever, you're bringing it into your home consciously. And so therefore, it's going to serve you better than just picking up random things at TJ Maxx. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was kind of the whole thought process behind the shop is just creating more intention about what we bring into our space. Yeah. So needed right now too, when everything is just so much your fingertips with Amazon and whatnot, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so Rebecca, where can people find you? You have your brick and mortar, but you're also online. Yep. I'm online at RebeccaDolber.com. And if you want to take a trip out to Long Island, uh, my studio is located in the seaside town of Santa Marichas. Sounds so lovely. <laughs> yeah, come visit. I'll come to uh, Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was yeah. such a pleasure to finally again meet you face to face. And thank you. Yeah. Say, have a good afternoon, Sarah. I'll talk to Thanks. you. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. If you are curious about the Elemental Mala collection, those can be found at my website, jadescottdesign.com. There's a mala for each element, along with some information to help you find the one maybe you need to integrate or connect to the most. I find with the elements, there's usually one or two that's dominant and one that often needs a little bit more attention. For me, it's the earth element. And as I mentioned in the show, the sunstone earth mala is the one I tend to gravitate to the most. I also invite you to take a look at all of Rebecca's collections and design. I've been eyeing up a few new pieces for myself. You can see more at RebeccaDolber.com. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the podcast. If you are getting valuable insight with these conversations and content, please let me know. Ratings and reviews are a wonderful way to show your support, as is subscribing and sharing it with others. If you've already done any of those, thank you, thank you, thank you. Until next time, much love and gratitude.